that was George Michael's single Spinning the Wheel, and it just so happened to have been produced by today's returning guest, Johnny Douglas. And it is also included on, ladies and gentlemen, The Best of George Michael, which is available on iTunes. And we're going to talk about the creation of this song and so much more. My name is James Rodriguez Horton, and this is The Original Doll. The Original Doll. Welcome to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez Horton. On The Original Doll, I am packaging music with the people who create it. We go behind the scenes and learn all about these great songs and the stories behind the creators themselves. And at the same time, we help out charity. So for every question a guest answers, we get items donated to those in need. We help out women in domestic abuse shelters. We help out homeless LGBT plus teens and more. For more information, follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. For as little as a dollar a month, you're able to help keep this up and running the more content i get the more server space and web space we need so any sort of help is greatly appreciated and as with every episode of the original doll any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world so if you do see any snippets leaked online please report them immediately to the webmaster we're going to get right to this my name is james rodriguez horton and this is the original doll Everyone, I would like to welcome you back to The Original Doll. I'm your host, James Rodriguez Horton. And on The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And today we have returning guest, genius producer, comedian extraordinaire, Johnny Douglas. Johnny, thank you so much for coming back to The Original Doll. Yeah, it's so kind. The check is in the post. (laughs) (laughs) I would love it. Um, What I wanted to do was... We've been going over a lot of the work that you've done and we've, you know, talked about George Michael and and in future episodes that are coming out, everyone make sure you subscribe so that you get these. Um, We're going to talk about your other collaborations, but what I wanted to do today was I received a lot of, you know, communication, whether it's emails, DMs, things like that on socials about spinning the wheel. And Mm -hmm. so many people were like, this song was so different than they thought George Michael would do and release that like the label, like would they allow him to do this and everything? And some were like the Sonics were so different and amazing that people said many times there were people that said spinning the wheel was their favorite song off of older. Some people Uh, said spinning the wheel was their favorite song ever that George Michael did, that it had that innuendo. It had that big, you know, a big band sound that had this like weird house vibe, like all this culmination of all these sonics yeah. together. So I wanted to talk to you about that. So let's go back to kind of the older era. Where in that production timeline was spinning the wheel created? Um, gosh. Um, after it was created after Fast Love. Um, Fast Love was done Jesus to a Child was done um, probably about half the album I'd kind of say was done Fast Love was obviously the first one that I did that we actually completed mm-hmm. um, and then uh, George asked me to basically just write some tracks create some music uh, for him to, to write to uh, which I did and 
I can't remember how many I did, maybe about 10. For the Patience album, I did hundreds um, because it was a, I started at the beginning of the process. But because I joined the older album kind of about halfway through, um, I, I wrote about 10. Um, spinning the Wheel was the track that was spinning the wheel, which he heard was so ridiculously basic how it started out really yeah i mean i was almost like i i couldn't even consider it a track that i would have presented him oh do you want to write to this oh wow (laughs) i mean it was literally like like a slowed down drum loop that had like a, a bass in it playing like one note I think that was pretty much all it was. With that. And I think I'd chucked in like some little guitar sound, but it was just literally just some, it was like some trip hop kind of mad thing because like trip hop was quite big in the UK at the time, mm-hmm. you know? So as well as being influenced, obviously by the old greats of kind of, you know, eighties, you know, American soul music and kind of hip hop. I was also, you know, totally kind of into like this kind of UK trip hop thing because like Massive Attack, Porter's Ed, mm. you know, Howie B Productions, all those kinds of things I just thought were just like, you know, mad cool. And, you know, I liked the whole kind of cinematic soundtracky, you know, Lilo Schifrin kind of vibes to all that kind of stuff. So I was just touching on that, but it was just the most simplest little loop. I don't even think I, I don't even quite know how he heard it because it certainly wasn't presented to him like, oh, I'm really proud of this. Mm-hmm. And it it really does kind of like sum up the things of like, like like for me in, in life in general, like the harder I try, the worse it gets. <laughs> and sometimes when I just kind of go, oh, people just love it. And it's kind of, I, I can never quite understand that. I can spend months working on something that's like, yeah, it's brilliant. And everyone's just like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> and then I can just kind of go, oof, there you go. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's amazing. You know, so somehow it, that's how it started out. But then it it very much morphed into, into what the finished record kind of became. And it all very much kind of happened in, in stages. So it kind of got a lot less heavier, a lot less trip hop. Those those atmospheres, the atmosphere of it is is still the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got a lot more kind of jazzier, um, a lot more kind of you know, I can't even. I, do you know what? I couldn't even really describe what that record is. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Uh, trip hoppy things i know it's trip hoppy because i know that's how yeah. it started people probably wouldn't even be able to recognize that they just see it as some jazzy thing i knew where the original gem of the idea kind of came from so well and that was i think one of the reviews mentioned that it was this trip hoppy thing that it was this mesh of all of these different genres in there and what i thought was interesting is the first time i ever heard it i mean i was you know, I was like a teen when that song came out. I knew who George Michael was. And for me, it was so bizarre and different because I was like, wait, this isn't like fast love. 
because at the time I only had, you know, that to go. I didn't listen to Jesus child when I was a 15 year old kid and really get it. But then it was one of those that I never understood the lyrics as a teenager. Then as I got older, I was like, I think that's a testament to the work that you and George Michael did is that there's many facets to it. At first you're like, Oh, spinning the wheel. And then you hear these, these words and, and, and you mentioned in a previous episode that George Michael wouldn't write about something that he did not experience. He was not creating these fake stories or this folklore. And as I grew up and then more and more of my friends, especially my gay friends, they were like, that stands out to them, that song. So let me ask you this then in the creation of it, when those lyrics were starting to be created, did you know that it was going to be this discussion of like this promiscuous lover going out and possibly bringing, and because the lyrics never fully state what he's talking about, but it could be inferred whether, you know, it's a disease, AIDS, anything like that coming back. Yeah. It's like taste a stranger and stuff. How early on did you know that the subject matter specific to the lyrics was going to go that route? Um, well, it's kind of, it kind of happened in, in a couple of stages because like George would do this thing of like, he always used to like, I think I mentioned before, like he used to, like vocal and write at the same time mm-hmm. um which is the only person i've ever seen do that and he would chuck everybody out while he was doing it because he never wanted to he never wanted to show anybody in the studio any of his mistakes ah. so he treat he treated us all very much like fans so it was like he was never gonna kind of kind of sing sing a load of stuff and then go mad out of tune and be like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. He would chuck everybody out and just work on it and work on it. And with spinning the wheel, I think there was probably about three different choruses and he could spend a week working on this chorus. And we're all sitting like watching TV and playing PlayStation, (laughs) bored, stupid. Um, And then he'd kind of call everybody in or he'd call me in and I'd kind of, I'd hear it and I'd be like, oh, that's amazing. And then he'd come in the next day and erase it all and start again. And you'd be like, what? What? And then he'd do something else and you'd be like, oh, I'm not sure whether I preferred the first one, but then you totally got used to it. And then it, then you loved it. And I think with Spinning the Wheel, that was probably the, the, third, the third chorus idea that he'd done. Wow. And I think that's when, I think he was lyrically searching for how to, how to kind of put it across because from from how I see the song, which is really strange because it's my own song, co-owned song, but sometimes I still kind of have to decipher what my own song is actually about from what he's kind of done. From what I could kind of like, you know, work out that song is uh, his part is singing it to him mm. because he was the one that was leading a lot more of that lifestyle so oh. i think i think that was the kind of it was almost like a warning to himself on what somebody was saying to him rather than what he was saying to his partner. Wow. so that's the way that i i kind of see it mm-hmm. but all these songs are very much they're you know they've got different kind of layers to them and you can just listen to it 
as it is and just kind of think it's just that layer. And then when you really decipher the lyric and you really start to listen to it, it's about a totally different subject that some people might even find a bit kind of distasteful or uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but it's not presented in this matter of fact way. It's kind of done in such a kind of clever artistic kind of way. And sometimes I think you can listen to, George's later stuff from a lyrical point of view and still be discovering things, which is kind of how I kind of, you know, very much treat, you know, production. You know, Mm -hmm. I will, you know, some people probably won't hear that little sound that's panned over to the right until they put headphones on and they might hear it 20 years later or, or, you know, there might be a lot of people that will be listening to it in spatial audio now with with its new format and be hearing things that they've they've never heard because mm-hmm. i would I, you know i would i would very much be creating in lots of little tiny parts to make up a bigger picture rather than broad strokes um a lot of music these days is very much broad strokes you know there's maybe mm-hmm. five or six elements in the whole thing and it's just you've got that you've got your drums you've got your bass boff 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 done i'm very much like oh a little bit here a little bit there and it all creates like this this bigger picture i use a lot of colors and a lot of things that aren't very um aren't very obvious to start out with but if i took it out you would notice that something was missing you just might not know know what it was um, it's a lot more. It's a lot more time consuming from my end. Yeah, uh, but I kind of find it quite quite rewarding that people could d- be discovering stuff and discovering stuff lyrically and just kind of going, oh, I I get it. You know, you know, there may be some things lyrically that you know a younger a younger kid might not get, and as you become an adult, you're suddenly like, oh shit, right? I've sweared again. I'm yep. quite glad I sweared again. I'll tell you why, because I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm really happy. I've got like a like an explicit content thing on. <laughs> I feel like I feel like NWA. I feel like I feel like Ice Cube or somebody. I love with Farsight and everyone all in there. <laughs> it's just the thing is what I love and what you what you talked about is I've had so many people. I I and for the listeners buy the album on iTunes and we've had you know listeners from latvia romania bulgaria slovakia hungary poland the we've had listeners and we've been fortunate enough the episodes that we've had with you so far have charted in those countries and people are buying this album on itunes and i said the best of is if if i always tell people i go buy the smartest way that you can like if trying to buy six brand new albums maybe a little too much for the pocket Buy the best of, and especially on iTunes, because then you get the digital quality. And I love, even if you stream on Apple Music, I love that spatial aspect of it where I put the headphones on and it's like, it's hearing songs in a whole new way. And I think that, so what I've loved about, especially deep diving to George Michael's music and your productions is my taste has changed over the years. And I go back and go, oh, this is really cool. Because I listen to this and go, wait, this song was played on the radio and it's like six minutes long. Like you don't have, that's that's like two uh, songs nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that time? So let, <laughs> let me ask you about that though. Was there ever any point where the label may say, 
wait, why do you have this interlude? This is going to like, you can't have 10 six minute songs in the, you know, in the mid nineties. Was there ever any discussion of that? Or did you ever have no. to edit the time? No, I mean, the label didn't have any say in anything whatsoever, um, which is uh, very unusual, but George would very much make the record and then just hand it to the record label and they would, they would kind of put it out. I mean, the whole, the whole short song thing nowadays where things are getting so short, it's kind of, it's almost like just play a couple of bars and then it finishes. I mean, people will kind of go, oh, well, that's because, you know, the younger audience has got a shorter attention span, but it's purely financial. It's purely Spotify is the main earner and they want to make it as short as possible. So you play it again, yep. you know, and it's kind of, it's purely about money. And if if anything fucks up music, it's always money, always, you know. So, so you know, things were, you know, there's some songs these days that are so short, like it starts and it's it's finished. I don't even know what's happened, you know. And it's whereas, I think if it, I think if as well as you know, if music ain't that great, you want it to be as short as possible, because because the thing is, you know, people might listen to it and go, "This is shit," and just turn it off. So you want it to be as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. If record company is good, they'd be doing two bar songs. Like they'd be like literally 10 seconds long. Um, I think when something's really great, it doesn't matter how long it is. You don't actually realize that that time is gone. You know, so if something is, is of a great quality, you can have a six minute song that'll feel like two minutes because, you know, everything kind of becomes timeless. You know, like time just kind of disappears when you get lost in something. If you've got to have it on in the background and it's just background music while you're doing something else, mm -hmm. then yeah, you want it in a short as possible. But if you're actually going through that big listening process and getting immersed in it, if it's great, you never want it to finish if it's great, you know. So, you know, back then, time-wise, songs were just... We didn't even think about time. And, you know, I mean, I mean, look at Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like eight hours long. You know what I mean? It's kind of... It, well, but, you, but you don't notice. You don't go, oh, this is dragging on a bit. Come on, Freddie, wrap it up, mate. Yeah. It's, it's a classic, is it? It's just, yeah. it's just a timeless classic. And I think, you know, with I think with Bohemian Rhapsody, the record company didn't want to, you know, couldn't understand that and didn't think that a song that long could ever do anything and look at it it's like one of the greatest records of all time so and we just had a number one song recently taylor swift's all too well that was number one and it's 10 minutes long and oh, it really? was and it was the <laughs> i believe it was something like the longest number one song since like american pie the wow. the don mclean one that was played on the radio and the thing is i think that to your point if you had a 10 minutes or six minute and it was the same sound throughout the whole thing, you're bored yeah. of it where yeah. it almost feels like this, this interlude, this change, this, you know, and I think that that's the storytelling when you get in there. So, but let me yeah. ask you this though, how did you, or let's say, so the label says we're going to release, you know, um, spinning the wheel as a song, but we're going to do radio edit. Did, did, would George be able to say, okay, you can cut this, but do not cut that. If they're like, well, we're going to cut this down. We're cutting this first. Did he, as an artist at that point, have that ability to go, well, yeah, if you need a three-minute song, th these are the parts you can cut out, not cutting out whatever yeah. you want. 
Oh, he had absolutely total control over over anything. In fact, if he didn't want it cut down, it wasn't getting cut down. You know, any edits, the record company wouldn't have done anything on that project apart from literally write him a check and then do a great and they did a great job promoting it hats off to virgin they mm. did a they did a superb job and they were they were great and i think sometimes you know some artists do need label intervention because they're that inexperienced or whatever but with someone like george who is just you know a genius and in control of every aspect of his career uh, and he also, you know, he wasn't a newbie then. You know, if if this was Wham, it might have been, you know, he mm. probably wouldn't have been trusted. But, you know, when you come off the back of, you know, faith and listen without prejudice, as well as his previous Wham career, he's, he's he has that experience. He pretty much knows what he's doing. Um, and so he's a lot more, you know, you get a lot more kind of trusted. And I think when an artist kind of gets so big, uh, one of the things that they'll contractually have is mm. record label ain't going to fuck with my stuff. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's a good thing because, you know, sometimes they shouldn't get involved in the creative side of things. They should leave it to the artist if the artist is able to do this thing themselves. Because essentially, you know, it's, it's George's life in music. And um, these are, these are kind of throwaway songs. They're not written about, you know, somebody else, mm-hmm. somebody else's experiences. You know, if you if you want to get to know George Michael, the the man, the human being, it's that it's there. You've mm-hmm. just got you've just got to put on those those later, you know, put on those solo records and really kind of listen to what he's saying, and you will understand who he is. So to have somebody else messing with that, it, it's it's just alien, mm. you know. And that's and that's why I think he's, you know, his records are so honest, whether you whether you like them or not, they're incredibly honest, and there's there's no fakery kind of going on anywhere. Um. So yeah, he had total control. I love that. We had a question from Mel in Belarus that said, "I had a quick question: the spinning the wheel." mini single had mini single i'm assuming in a different country i know maxi single but they said mini single uh had some remixes how early on before a single is announced do they start working on these remixes do you as a producer and songwriter get to hear these before it's ever released to the public um hey mel um the remixes are pretty much started straight as it's planned out that it's going to be a single um i me personally i had no say involvement in in these other versions the fourth rate versions and all this stuff george would and mm-hmm. um, because it's you know he's he's the eyes um i did kind of like a i think i did like a little remix of spinning the wheel but again it's like i didn't even I don't know. I can't really even consider it a remix. I just took a load of stuff out and just programmed a very, very rough drum track. And I think because you know, spinning the wheel has a has a definite set of like you know, jazzy kind of chord changes, and the melody flows within those changes. It's very hard to almost. <laughs> 
you're kind of talking about rewriting the song mm -hmm. when, when you're doing a remix. And I think when you've spent that long working on something, because, you know, it would have been, you know, it would have been a good three, two to three months working on that track and this track growing and changing and it'll go over there and it'll move over here. By the time you get to the end of it, the last thing you want to do is go, no, start working on spinning the wheel again. You know what I mean? Because you're just, you're almost just like, I'm all, I'm all spun out. I've yeah. got, I've got, I've got <laughs> all spun out. I'm spinning. Yeah. The wheel. I've got, I've got nothing left to give to this record. I've just, mm -hmm. I've chucked in every idea and every thought and every bit of my creative soul has gone into this piece of music. So when someone wants you to kind of do a remix straight after you've just finished the main version, you're just like, oh. Mm -hmm. So I don't even consider like, you know, they call it the John Douglas remix. And I'm always a bit embarrassed by that because it's just, it's not really, I don't, I literally think, I think I probably did it in like a day, you know, and the main version was done over three months. I think I literally just took, muted a load of stuff, programmed a different <laughs> drum track and was just like, I didn't even think it was going to come out, to be honest. I was just like, oh, that'll do. And, it's, and it ended up on the record as this official remix. And I'm always <laughs> like, oh, come on, man. I don't even... It's not, like I, it's, it's not like I went for it, you know what I mean? It's like I went for it on the main version and I didn't really have anything left to give. So if you want to listen to an alternative version where I've got like... 2% creative juices left to put into something. That's what my dream <laughs> getting the wheel actually is, you know. And for the listeners, I'm going to be putting a little snippet of that underneath here right now. We have, oh. a, we have another, people are going to be like, oh, I hear it. Uh, we have another question from Vadim in Kazakhstan. He said, can you please ask John Douglas if he can confirm any of these rumors, which is amazing. He said, uh, I know oftentimes many people said that they wanted to work with George Michael. Is it true that he had worked on some of these duets with some of our favorites, including Janet Jackson, Lisa Stanfield, uh, Kathy Dennison Moore? Can you say anything on any of these? Um. Lisa Stansfield, I've never, I've never heard. Kathy Dennis, I, I don't know why. Nothing against, nothing against Kathy Dennis, but Kathy Dennis is more of a, a writer than she was. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was a great artist, but that's not, not the sort of artist that mm -hmm. George would have duetted with. Lisa Stansfield, yes, because she was like an actual solo artist, whereas Kathy Dennis was more of a featured artist on things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lovely lady, superb writer, obviously, but I couldn't uh, I couldn't imagine that. I've never heard that. Um, Janet Jackson, yes. Um, I think that happened. Uh, it's quite a lot. I mean, I mean, you know, George would always... George, for, for, for duets, George would always pick or want to work with people that he thought was incredible singers mm -hmm. and people that could match him. You know, like, not just people that can sing, like singers, singers. Yep. So, or, or people that he was massively influenced by as a kid. So, 
Stevie Wonder, yeah. Paul McCartney, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the duets that I was involved in, you know, with Mary J. Blige, Whitney Houston. So good, so good. They're the, they're the greats, you know, they're the, they're the greats. Mm-hmm. I think if he was alive today, he probably would have sang with Adele. Oh. If Amy if Amy Winehouse would have been alive, he probably would have sang with Amy Winehouse or wanted to. By the way, I meant to ask because somebody had asked. Uh, oh, it was, I think it's pronounced Markan Markan uh, from Bulgaria said, "I would love to know what Johnny Douglas's thoughts were when Adele covered Fast Love for George Michael." Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I've met Adele a few times. She's lovely. So, um, if I, I was going to produce her first album. And then it got uh, got mysteriously pulled before I'd started doing it. Um, but she's, you know, she's great, and obviously she's she's a phenomenal singer. I can't even say phenomenal. 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 That way, phenomenal. It's a phenomenal. <laughs> she's a she's one of them anyway. She's a fun animal, is what we hear. <laughs> she's, she's a fun animal, man. She's a party she's a girl. Person. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, she's obviously, you know, she's, you know, she's incredible. It's it's always an honor, you know. It's an honor when somebody, you know, covers your song, especially if someone of of that stature. And you know, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a huge fan of her as an artist. And I was, you know, before she'd even released a record, and I heard her stuff straight as I heard mm. heard her talent. It, just because she's she's a, I just. <laughs> I just like singers that really kind of like sing sing from their soul and let you, you know, they almost let you into who they are. They're not just singing a song; they're they're just pouring their heart out through a through this singing voice. And you know, I'll always appreciate, I'll always appreciate great singers. And from my point of view, from a producer and writer's point of view, I mean, great singers make you sound great. You know, I can do the greatest track in the world, but then if you pull in somebody who can't sing, it's going to sound shit no matter how great my track is. Mm. Whereas I can actually do quite a shit track and pull in the greatest singer in the world and it still sounds amazing because (laughs) they're the ones that deliver the message. The, The goal is to do my part great and to have an amazing singer. And when you put that together with an amazing song, then you've got greatness. Um, you know, there's a lot of records that I hear that have got incredible singers and not so great production, but you can't tell because it still sounds, the singer sells it. You mm-hmm. know, the voice the voice is, is mainly what it's all about. And, and so it should be. Um, so, yeah, great singers uh-huh. make producers sound great. You know, it's how it is. See, I love that. So what we're going to do is I just want to get kind of your last thoughts on the creation of Spinning the Wheel. And everyone, like I said, go purchase, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the best of George Michael on iTunes, wherever you are in the world. Uh, Sometimes I'll share the link. Some countries, it's different links that we can't access. So just go to iTunes, type in uh, the best of George Michael and put those headphones in because I think it's, you'll get a whole new experience. And so shout out to, Yes. You know, the, the Czech Republic, Latvia, Trinidad, Tobago, all these people that are messaging us and, and talking about this, buy this album. Um, So then, Johnny Douglas, what now looking back, what are your kind of 
couple words you think of when you think of spinning the wheel, the song itself? What, what do I think of it in a couple of words? Yeah. Uh, classy, dangerous, sexual, smooth. And absolutely, please buy this. Please buy this record because um, electricity prices—they've gone through the roof, and you know someone's got to keep the lights on. So uh, there go, you go. guys, get out there, do your thing, keep my lights on, keep my studio running. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, my goodness, I love this. But everyone, I'm going to share uh, the links for the iTunes ones that I can. But yeah, go ahead, purchase that. Let me know how it is, and have no fear. We have a bunch more episodes with Johnny Douglas coming up. So everyone, be mm. sure to follow me <laughs> and look out for the explicit warnings. My name is James Rodriguez Horton. Johnny Douglas, thank you so much for being here today. I literally had groans around the world when you said that. Like, Not more. No. <laughs> Shut this guy up, man. Oh, no. I think that people are excited. You know, anytime I mention All Saints, Kylie Minogue, anything like that, people freak out in general like a lot of these great fun artists so perfect all right everyone i will let you go and i'll see you on the flip side the original die.